I'm Billy Branham. This is Closer Look. My guest is Lieutenant Colonel Michael Jackson, MJ for short. He's a B-1 bomber pilot with 22 years in the Air Force. He personally struggled to adjust to retirement from active duty, put a strain on his mind and his marriage. But now he educates and encourages other vets adjusting to civilian life. MJ, welcome to Closer Look. So how are you connecting with your military brothers and sisters? You know, I am actually the mentor coordinator for our local Veterans Treatment Court here in Bell County, Texas. And uh, it's a specialty court set up to assist those veterans that when uh, we can show an intersection between underdiagnosed, undiagnosed service-related issues and the offense, we can bring them into this court and then make sure that they get the treatment that they need. What I find from most of them is that they are reluctant to ask for help. They often isolate because they really just don't know how to communicate or relate effectively. That's who they've become. I think the longer you're in, the more difficult it may be. I was in for over 22 years. It is an identity that gets deeply ingrained in your psyche. You know, the biggest problem with that is you come out here in the civilian world and you don't go to this place where everybody kind of looks like you, thinks like you, works like you. Now, I think where most veterans kind of miss the opportunity is that, hey, there's all kinds of veterans out here, depending on where you live in the country. We just don't all wear the same uniform or work at the same place anymore. But if you can find uh, other veterans, really just to be able to talk to without, without having to explain a lot of the experience, whether that be acronyms or whatever, it may be technical terms, is such a good feeling. Um, it's the best therapy for me. I run peer-to-peer groups here in Bell County. I also work with a veterans pod is what they call it up in the Hughes unit, which is a male maximum security prison in Gatesville, Texas. Uh, and I go and I run um, groups up there with the veterans. Veterans do better with other veterans. That's why they have the prison institutions are developing veteran-centric places because they've found that they do better. There's less incidents of, of trouble and all those kinds of things. Even some of the jails around the country have done the same thing to kind of separate the veterans out. And that's why veterans treatment courts have been around since, I believe, 2008, because the regular venues of either a mental health court, a DWI court, or a drug court was not very effective for veterans because they didn't ever feel like they belonged. And let's talk about the correlation then between PTSD and domestic violence. Let's say I've returned from combat. I've seen things, been part of things, done things that I'm having trouble dealing with because I think deep down we all know, right, the difference between right and wrong. And I'm not saying that what they did was right or wrong, because in a situation where you have to respond in some way, um, and more than likely it's for your own or the safety of others, things are going to be done that you would never do or you would never think you would do. As a matter of fact, it's funny. uh, Sometimes people say, well, I would never do that. And to that, I respond that don't be smug in your own morality until it's been tested. Because until you have uh, been through an event like that, you really can't say one way or the other. What happens a lot of times is, let's say the military member comes home and after kind of the honeymoon, you know, two weeks or whatnot, 
they're still really not conversing with their spouse. Maybe they're playing video games a lot, or maybe they're going out with their military buddies and and drinking a lot, but they're really not talking about their experience or what was going on. And so that can lead to an argument. When you've trained somebody to respond to violence with violence, to kind of get rid of the threat, right? Then that can occur without even thinking about it. So that's where a lot of those events coalesce that a lot of times training takes over, reactions take over. They're not ready to have the conversations that the the spouse wants to have. Ideally, they can work through those things together. I think the problem is with the current or for the, the operations tempo that we had for so many years, almost 20 now, how far do you reintegrate into the family to be torn away again? How much do I change when I know I've got to go back and do those things again? Sometimes what I liken it to is, uh, let's say you and your family are in a canoe and you're going down a river and you get to a spot in the river and the military member will say, gets out to go hunting or whatever they need to do. But the rest of the family stays in the canoe and continues down the stream. Well, the military member, when he's finished with what he's doing, is going to come back to the spot where you dropped him off. But you're no longer there. You've moved on. Not only that, you've moved on, set up camp, and set up a system in camp that doesn't include that individual. And so how does that individual kind of get back into the groove of things? Uh, My wife and I struggled with that quite a bit early on because, you know, we have three sons and they had their system when I was gone. And it would be unfair of me to think that, oh, dad's back Here's how we do things now. And some families were apart for 12, 15 months at a time. And they've done that multiple times. So some families uh, have handled it quite well. I've seen quite a few of them not survive. MJ, you and your wife, Anne, made it. How did you get through? For veterans, especially, it's, it's going to be a grassroots veteran to veteran thing that's going to be the most effective until... Society can learn how to welcome their warriors back in. Not everybody comes out with PTSD. Some have uh, just an inability to to integrate, you know. Some have just anxiety and some have depression. Some have both. Trauma is very individual. Not everybody's event that occurs is going to be traumatic, even if you were sitting in the seat next to them. Just because an individual does not have a PTSD diagnosis doesn't mean they're not struggling in one way or another. I think what has occurred is that there's a bit of a divide between those that have not served and those that have. The side that that has not served has not learned how to welcome them back in. I think there's all kinds of reasons for that. Some of it may be that uh, people don't want to know what military members had to do in order for them to continue to live their lives basically uninterrupted. You know, since 9-11 in the United States, we have basically been able to go about our business until now, of course, as usual, because volunteers had come forward to fight the fight that our nation's government decided we needed to fight. And how do those potentially traumatic events possibly play a role in behavior of veterans? You know, something I always tell the veterans, their reactions in combat are normal. Combat in and of itself is not normal. I don't believe that we were put here on this earth to be in conflict. 
with one another. I believe that we are communal by nature and that we are put here to assist one another as we find our way through this life um, as best we can. And you have to understand that a lot of it plays into the psychology. You know, we have the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, and, you know, all of those, that that's our thinking brain, right? Those are the, the parts of the brain we use to reason and, and everything else. And then we've got our limbic system, which is kind of the, what they call the animal brain, right? The fear, the fight, flight, freeze reactions. Well, those reactions occur without thinking. That is the human being wanting to survive because I, I believe everything will fight for its life. Sometimes downrange, you can develop those types of right unconscious reactions, like let's say a loud noise and you hit the dirt. You know, a lot of the reactions that we have in combat are great when you're in combat. They are normal reactions. I personally believe that uh, PTSD is recoverable from and given the right treatments um, and, and how well the, the individual uh, can respond to those treatments. I don't like to call it a lifelong thing. I know that some people may be affected for their entire lives, but I would like to hope that they can um, get past that. What can we do to help veterans? You know, something that my wife says quite often, I agree, is that if a veteran honors you with their story, realize that they are sharing a sacred space with you, literally a a space that is life and death. And to just listen, um, not to answer, but just so that the individual feels heard, be able to be there, to be present to be mindful of the veteran that you're talking with. And the stories may not be pretty. More often than not, they won't. But again, do not use the morality that we've developed back here under these circumstances to judge the actions of another in a completely different set of circumstances. Thank you so much for all of the information, for talking to me today, for sharing a little bit of your life as well. I think this is an important topic that most people just, they forget about or it's not, you know, in the forefront, it's not in the news as much. So that's why we're here to shed the light on it. Right. Absolutely. I I appreciate uh, your reaching out. We're working on a lot of things right now, recognizing the humanity in one another. And I, I think this is just another facet of it for veterans, recognizing that they're human beings first too. Again, thanks to my guest, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Jackson, retired Air Force. If you or a vet you know needs to talk to someone, there's a free confidential hotline available 24-7 for you. The Veterans Crisis Line. Call 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-TALK. For a closer look, I'm Billy Branham.